clear. We are the weirdos. I am God. What? I tried to warn her. Welcome back, friends, to another episode of Ots Tyrion. Woo! It is me. It is me, your co-host, Jordan Cruciola, and I am here with... Uh, also a co-host, Sam Weinman. Also co-host, composer, writer, director, filmmaker, dear, cherished friend, Sam Weinman. Uh, Today's really a, good texture. Really I'd good say. texture. Like, yeah. elite class texture. I mean, if we're talking, if we're just applying labels. <laughs> just, you know, I've got a great smile, and everyone likes me, and my mom's really nice. Just, like, all these things. Um... This is a really this is a big episode. I would I've wondered if people who are uh, very familiar with me online assumed this would come in the first season because it didn't. Um, but Sam, what are we covering here today? Here today we are talking about Jennifer's body. It's happening. It's it's happening. finally here. You have waited. You have earned this movie. <laughs> You know, you were in like, so many give it ways, to me. in so many ways, we've earned Jennifer's body, and Jennifer's body has earned us. And uh, I was very, I, I wasn't, of course, wasn't reluctant or reticent to do uh, JB on the pod. Of course, it, it was a foregone conclusion that it would happen. I just wanted to make sure, honestly, that when it was covered, it wasn't me being the catalyzing force because. I, I am not tired of talking about this movie. I could talk about it constantly, but I know I'm kind of always the one bringing it up. So I wanted to make sure that when we covered the ground, that it was you or perhaps a guest that was going to be like, I have a thing that I want to say about Jennifer's body, and that's why we should start. That's why we should do it now. So I was very, I was internally, it was important to me to wait for somebody else to to bring up the discussion. And I brought it up. because yes. Well, one, I, I could listen to you. Uh, talk about like a paper bag in Jennifer's body and, and like because you have all the facts you know everything about everything with this movie and I know you could give it to us for six hours right so yeah. l- we only have an hour so yeah. what and, and and here's the other thing is you've talked about it so many times how can you talk about it in a way that is you know new for us which was what I, I would I would and I and I don't like I, I don't worry about becoming a broken record on Jennifer's body but I want to make sure that I'm consistently bringing a value add to the conversation because just delivering your own talking points all the time isn't interesting. And like that doesn't serve anybody. I don't think I don't think anybody could accuse you of being a broken record because you are just like a content generator. I would like to think, yeah, that's <laughs> but, what I aspire to. But you know, as your co-host, mm-hmm. you know, I, I hope that I I hope that the thing I want to talk about is a little bit different. And I think maybe today we've got that. Mm-hmm. Um, Jordan and I started having a conversation about something that I feel pretty strongly about, which mm-hmm. is um, Max Tucker, Max Tucker, and Hunter Moore. Tucker so, Max. Uh, t- Tucker Max. It's he, it's such an important conversation that mm-hmm. I got the name right. Yeah. Um, but that's like honestly the level of respect that I have for Tucker Max that yes. he is Max Tucker. <laughs> that's how you would have arranged him on the shelf at Borders. Listen, it's a better name. Yeah. Just fucking fix it, okay? So okay. Here's the thing. I worked at Borders mm-hmm. uh, in the early 2000s into the mid 2000s. Our shadow third co-host on this podcast is Borders. Is, is Borders? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, you know, uh, my best friend was listening to the podcast, and and we asked her what she thought about it, and she's like, "It didn't have enough me. I worked at Borders too." <laughs> yeah. Wait, did you work at Borders with Kathy? Yeah. Oh my god, that's how I met her. I yeah. No, my best friend of that. like 
two decades, I met her at Borders. I absolutely, I, I yeah. loved her reaction at the time, but I'm now deeply understanding. No, now you get it. That there wasn't enough me because Borders has come up on this podcast so many times. The fact that you met your best friend, the fact that you met Kathy at Borders new information brand new information here's the thing i was a registered person for a very long time i had to earn the title of bookseller kathy got there immediately bookseller i was like who is this bitch i'm taking her to coffee yeah yeah i needed to know Uh uh-huh is she is she a friend so okay so here this brings us to perfectly to to setting the stage for 2006 Mm -hmm. so i'm a bookseller at this point thank god um and i'm stocking our our bestsellers and we've got Tucker Max, I Hope They Serve Beer in Hell. Yes. For those of you who don't know, uh, it's a book about like a, just like a fuck boy, but they weren't called that then. Mm-hmm. And each one, each chapter is like a different like sex, sex capade. And, um, and, and it was very popular. It was a bestseller for the bulk of that decade. Well, and it, so, started, as, it started as a blog. And that was where I got to know it was his, mm. he would blog his exploits. And I think I read something about the backstory that was that like he started the site on a dare and yeah. he just committed to it and it became hugely popular. You know, he, he was going, he went viral with these posts about his debauchery and his exploits before we used the term viral. And I, it might've been, I cannot remember the debut year of that. If it made it to me in high school or if that was early college oh, that okay. I started reading Tucker Max on the web and it was just it was just be the worst guy possible and I believe it is that the the movie Van Wilder like isn't he isn't that character Ryan Reynolds character the titular role like a take like Tucker Max with the heart of gold was kind of the point of that role and the problem with Tucker Max is that there was no heart and so what each of these episodes really is when you look back at it um today and i think even then but obviously today uh, it's very clear um it, it involves so much uh rape mm-hmm. quite frankly um he's constantly getting women intoxicated so that he can sleep with them and then and and just like completely mortify them ultimately mm-hmm. like that's his whole shtick it's like i'm going to like not just sleep with you but i'm going to ruin your day or life mm-hmm. you know and that's it was like the it was the cruelty of his work yeah. That really was his signature. It was. And, and so to follow this path, um, this is a book that sold a million copies. Mm-hmm. Um, why is this important to Jennifer's body? Cover, was that the book where the cover is him standing in between two girls whose faces have been cut out and it looks yes. just like it looks just like cut marks implying that like insert girl here. Isn't it crazy that you can be a medium good-looking white guy and that's enough? Yeah. Oh, God yeah, damn it. completely. It's just like, and you, and like well, and be shitty. And, and the point of you is and, to be shitty. It, it truly right. just all you need to be is a medium-looking white guy. And what was happening in 2006 and around this time in the aughts was like a real fascination with pickup artistry and the idea of negging a woman so that mm-hmm. she would like you. Yeah. Um, just be as shitty as possible to women so that they, um, so that you can get what you want from them. Mm-hmm. And so that was his whole, that was a, a big part of what this is. So... Why I bring it up and tie it to Jennifer's body is because this copy, because 400,000 of the over 1 million copies that sold to this book were sold in 2009. Which is so interesting because that is quite removed from the date of publishing. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it arrived, it arrived as I think a success, but then 
the crescendo yeah. in sort of latent success. It was a really bestseller awesome. right away. Uh-huh. So it's not like we weren't stocking the book. It's that we were stocking it for years. Yeah. And that in something about 2009, there was a peak for this mm-hmm. book. It was also the year that the movie version came out. Mm-hmm. And that movie version tanked. Right. So on one hand, we have 400,000 copies of this book selling because people want to read him ruin and Mm -hmm. do these terrible things. But we don't want to see the movie because it's not really that much fun. What you doing? I'm talking to the turtles. Are they telling you to kill that fat girl behind us? Because that's what they're telling me to do. What? How can you be mad about that? Fat girls aren't real people. Um, I think what it to was actually watch in 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 living color. Yeah. Um, somebody just an irresponsible person just debasing women. Yeah, it's it's hard to feel like that's a comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think it made people uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and it made people look at the part of them that were commodifying his behavior. Yeah. Um, and that was too close to home. They'd rather it's read the, the book. Quiet, it's it, making it a film is saying the quiet part out loud. Yep. It is taking this thing where he he was very much like because of the cruelty of that era that that defines so much of it. And we've talked about it many times and we will talk about it many times more. Um, he was a, an object of aspiration like it. You mm-hmm. you read like dudes read Tucker like I was around those dudes. I talked to dudes about it. Dudes read Tucker Max thinking this guy was kind of like a folk hero. Like yeah. he was some like he was it was almost too good to be true. Like these stories couldn't be real because no one's that fucking awesome. Like, because cool shit like this doesn't really happen. And so it was, he he was a sort of deity of the era. He was so much of a distillation of the kind of toxicity that was diffused out over so much of culture and then condensed into one person. And then when you put that in a movie, that's being like, oh shit, all that stuff we just like baked into culture passively and implicitly, here it is explicitly and like, ooh, that might feel bad. When we talk about the paparazzi culture of 2005 leading into 2007 and that there was no protection for women, that Mm -hmm. Lindsay Lohan's case gets thrown out of court, that Paris Hilton's case, or Paris Hilton suing about her sex tape thrown Mm -hmm. out because she doesn't have the right to her own body and its images. Yeah. it, what we're looking at is like this idea that like these untouchable celebrities, it's like, well, that's the price of being a celebrity. I guess that's yeah. like the justification at the time. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's horrific. But it, there was we acted as if that would have no consequence. Mm-hmm. And Tucker Max is the consequence. Um, right. What it is, is it affected every woman. Mm-hmm. If you can treat the women on top this way, mm-hmm. then it affects everybody on the way down. Right. And this is an exact representation of that. And in 2009, um, Tucker Max really gave birth to what I think is like the the wart on Tucker Max's dick, Hunter Mm. Moore. Right. So Hunter Moore harassed is a man who harassed a girlfriend um, in 2009 into giving him once she left him and he Mm. posted her nudes online Mm -hmm. uh, against her wishes uh, and and specifically to seek revenge and then built an entire website around it in 2010 where he would post revenge porn um, on behalf of of men who wanted to, men and women, um, mm-hmm. who, would, who would post their pictures. But here's the thing. He would also post their social media links, their full names, their pictures. He wanted you to find them and harass them. them. He would and fully then dox these people. If they asked for their, inf- their things to be taken down, he had a special section where he would laugh at those people mm-hmm. um, and post their emails. Um, parents 
asking about their kids who are on the site. I mean, shitty, shitty sh- stuff. And the thing is, it's in the same breath as this guy. It's like one gives way to the next. Um, now, that lasted, you know, 18 months before it was shut down. Now, And he's the kind of figure that was, like, in the way that, in the way that, uh, like, the blogosphere culture, the blog celebrity blog culture of the day was unhinged in, in the form of things like, um, you know, Perez Hilton and, and D-listed and things like that. But what gives clearance to those things to exist and sort of becomes the terrible feedback machine is when mainstream media takes cues from that yes. style of reporting or commentary or humor and then perpetuates it at a... Sang- at, like at a level where it is sanctioned by large blue chip media companies and you have a publication like Rolling Stone do a profile on Hunter Moore that is not like an expose it's a human yep. interest piece it's a let's follow Hunter Moore on a drug fueled boozy weekend mm-hmm. and base and the whole point you assign that story because you want the most fucked up thing to happen and you hope your reporter's there for it. That's the whole reason you do that. It's the whole reason, like, they talked to him at his home in California and then the reporter, like, meets him in New York City where he goes for a, a gig, essentially, an appearance. And the point is to chronicle the womanizing and the possible assaults and the extreme substance use along the way because you're hoping your reporter comes back with something really fucked up that people are going to be really interested in. That's it's not meant to take this person down. It's meant to highlight them. It's difficult to explain to somebody who is too young to remember the odds, um, how cruel they were. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that a lot of times we place that cruelty mid odds. And the truth is it went all the way to the end. And we see that in, in the um, emergence of these two men and their popularity, because it's not just that they existed as outliers. It was that Mm -hmm. they were, that they were getting so much attention that 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 Tucker Max was a best-selling author, mm-hmm. that Hunter Moore had a website that most people logged into. Right. It's that kind of shit mm-hmm. that makes you realize like the entire culture is copable. Mm-hmm. Like we are all a part of their success. Mm-hmm. And so why I bring this up with Jennifer's body is a lot of the conversation around Jennifer's body has to do with the marketing yeah. and how the marketing failed. And the marketing did fail. This yeah. is not to poke a hole in that. Totally. But what it is is to add a layer. Mm-hmm. It was marketed to these men. Mm-hmm. It was marketed to a culture it that was. embraced Tucker Max mm-hmm. and 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 loved Hunter Moore. Mm-hmm. It was it was it was that kind of entitlement to a woman's body and their images. Mm-hmm. It was that's why there was such a such fuss over like the leaked pictures of Megan Fox who skinny like or in the swimming scene. That's yeah. why they had to keep paparazzi out. It's like because this is the culture mm-hmm. and the expectation yeah, the, was the culture is who's up like what what was the name of the site? Um, is anyone is up? anyone up? Yeah, is anyone up and um, upskirts. Yep. Like, that's it, what people got paid for. It, it, it's like a time when it was acceptable and you would get paid a large sum of money if you put a camera under a woman's skirt. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's shit now you would go to jail for. Mm-hmm. This is only a decade ago, friends. Like, right. I mean, it that is That was a, just what was put... That was a normal day on the superficial.com. Yeah. So it is a... Um, it's a horrific time to be a human being, let alone be a woman. And you have a movie that is in not the movie that it's being advertised and it is being marketed to this culture. So, of course, when people see that trailer and those are the men who showed up to see this movie and they were disappointed and they were vocal. 
because mm-hmm. they weren't the fucking audience. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, so, and, and, and by by extension of saying, by extension of misrepresenting the movie and deciding that you're going to target the audience of like dudes who would think Tucker Max is cool and who 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 would go to is anyone up and that like, you know, probably 15 to 34 year old male movie going audience what you are doing by extension of that is saying that the inverse saying that the complement to that demographic the women who this movie is actually for not only are we not marketing they don't matter they don't have they don't have the purchasing power we want they don't have the cultural sway we want they're not the ones we give a shit about we want the money of this actual valuable marketing demographic over here fuck these girls I think an important part of this is something that I think about this a lot with um, Hollywood generally and what we see such a insidious, sick version of it with the marketing of mismarketing of Jennifer's body, which is a thing that just persistently frustrates me so much about power players in the film industry is this race to be second is this oh race God. for consolation prizes. Yeah. This notion of like something else was a success. So we need to chase that. And not necessarily do our own novel interpretation of it, which I get it. Things emerge in the culture and you react to that. That makes sense to me. Why, when you are the people with the money, you are the entities with the resources, you are the taste makers. If something's not famous, make it fucking famous. If something's not there yet, then put it on the fucking map. You're the ones who do that. You're the ones who can take over the world with advertising. So why are you chasing something else's heat? Why would you chase a Tucker Max fan when you could look and so clearly see what Diablo Cody and Karin Kusama are doing in something like Jennifer's Body and be like, you know what? Bear with me. What if we don't go for the 30 million clicks a day assholes over here and be like, Where are those other people, though? Where are the people who are horrified by that? Who this movie is exactly for? And there are tens of fucking millions of them. Why not? You have the power to reach them. You have the budget to reach them. That makes me... Well, I have to tell you how it reached me. Because it wasn't through the advertising campaign. Mm -hmm. It was because the soundtrack for Jennifer's Body leaked... Far ahead of the movie. Okay. It is a great soundtrack. Um, and it is very of its time. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know what? I need to see this no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I need to know what's going on. It's the same story with Sorority Row. That's another episode. So, no, oh, I can't wait for that episode. So watching this movie unfold was like, thank God this wasn't what was in the trailer. Right, and right. my queer friends and I went back and saw it again and again. Because mm-hmm. that's what you do. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, I saw so thank God times. for the soundtrack. Yeah, I saw uh, it four times. Friend, did you discover the soundtrack at the time or is that like a later thing? No, that was definitely a later thing for me. And here's the, here's the thing that the marketers missed. Those fucking idiots. I, I was fully in the bag for Megan Fox. 100%. Like, I was yeah. going to watch anything Megan was in. Of that course. was me. Because she's rad as hell. I will ride for Michaela Baines in those two Transformers movies for the till the end of time. Michaela Bain, Sam Witwicky, one of our great of the 21st century love stories. Um, knowing how, like, knowing what we knowing what we know about Michael Bain now, and not in the sense of like his reputation or whatever, but his screenplays. Not not weighty material. Like 
it's it's the thinnest. It is it is gossamer, and but like things go boom and they look fucking rad. Like that's that's the point. So knowing how much fucking verve and swagger Megan Fox brought to the performance of uh-huh. Caleb and made her an action heroine through sheer sheer force of charisma and presence, in the absence of anything interesting that I'm sure existed on that page knowing how much she gave to that role and how it was it, it had to be so you know kind of collapse around her the way that her run with Transformers and Bay ended I was all in for her like I still keep just tabs open on my phone of just select gifts of Megan Fox from Transformers because she's she's just radiating star power it's incredible so all I knew about her was from Perez Hilton Oh, oh. So what I will what I will say is I all I knew about Megan Fox was I mean yeah. she was famous and hot and mm-hmm. relentlessly bullied by Perez Hilton. I mean to a point where it's disgusting. And by the way, you can still pull that shit up cuz he wasn't smart enough to delete it yet. Yep. Um well, and it back, is the way back machine will find you. Yep. He but is Here's what I Here's the, what that whole preamble was I meant to say is Please. 100% I was in the bag for Megan, but you know what I also had in my on my fridge in my hmm. apartment in San Francisco? I had the fold out like 20 by 24 poster of Megan Fox as Jennifer Check in the cheerleading uniform leaning over a school desk. I had that pinup shit in my house because love it. I love that. Uh, that is, you know what that is? It is super hot. You know what the the reality is? Like the unfor- like the People had enough, like, shitty, insidious boy-run media people had enough sex to sell from Megan Fox because she, very cannily, knew that that would be a persona that would catch on. She knew it would catch fire. Megan Fox was absolutely self-aware from go of Mm. the kind of star profile she was forging. She knew it would get traction. It did. And she has acknowledged that, like, yeah, I wasn't really helping myself entirely because, like, yeah, that picked up steam and then suddenly that's who I was. But at the same time, the only way I was going to control my image was being the sort of master of my own performance of it. So she was in an impossible fucking situation. And if you read any of those profiles from that time that were either just jerking off all over her or negging her or minimizing her, in Mm -hmm. every one of them, she makes clear she knows exactly what's fucking going on. She makes clear in the New York Times profile, the making, of, it's like the making and unmaking of, of Megan Fox or like the making of Megan, the manu- the self-manufacture of Megan Fox. That's the title. It like explains her, her awareness and her orchestration of her image while still taking time to minimize her, while still taking time to make cheap shots at her, even with the knowledge in hand from that writer and the knowledge readily available in any other featured cover story profile of Megan Fox where it's clear she is in on the gag. Even then in those moments where you know what she's capable of, she was being ripped apart. And what the marketing people didn't understand was that there was a way to sell sexy Megan Fox without fucking exploiting her. Because there were queer girls like me who absolutely are down for Megan Fox in a cheerleading uniform who are absolutely down for all the hotness that is Michaela Baines leading over the hood of a Camaro as the sun sets behind her and her glistening tan body is lit up by that sheen of Michael Bay sweat. 
there is absolutely a huge demographic of queer women or women who don't know they're queer yet who do want those images but do not do not need them to be exploitative for them to be erotic for them to be a turn-on but it had to be one or the other had to be one or the other and they picked the wrong fucking route because the men that they're the the men that wanted images of Megan Fox didn't want the images that Megan wanted to give you. They yes. wanted the they wanted the up the skirt shot. Yes. That's why when you Google Megan Fox Jennifer's body nude, um, what will come up by the way, and this is going to embarrass some people who we know in our community in the horror community because there are some things out there that are less than flattering that have been said about this. Um, there was a lot of buildup around the quote leak of her nudes when of course right. they're not nudes she's filming the scene yeah. um where she's swimming but that was that was what people wanted they mm-hmm. wanted them they wanted the photos she didn't want you to see they yeah. wanted megan fox against her will that is how it ties in with mm-hmm. this culture at this moment and i think like me and you like i i we i i enjoy our intellectual rigor when we engage on the topic of neon demon and the reason that i bring it up here is the more i think about the movie and the more i talk about the movie I think I know that one of to me the most fascinating and powerful aspects of it is the fact that it is a movie about exploitation and it is a movie about the selling of sex and it is a movie about taking women and posing the question to the viewing audience and to the you know the women asking one another on screen are you food or are you sex and pointing that out mm. as the dichotomy we force on women and girls for them to decide if you want power are you food or are you sex? And which of that, which of those two paths are you going to exploit to make me want you enough to give you power? And I think the thing that resonates so much with me about Neon Demon is that in spite of that sex selling being a fundamental aspect of that movie and its philosophy, it is a deeply asexual movie. There's nothing sexual about Neon Demon. It is all yeah. sexual in abstract and concept. And so what that means is as a result of that, What the movie ultimately does is strip sex entirely from the equation and makes it 100% about power. It takes all the implicit sexuality and the eroticism and it strips out all of those visceral lizard brain feelings and just gets to the point of it and tells you, actually, this is about power. What you thought was about sex, what you thought was about pleasure, what you thought was about the lizard brain response, what you thought was about something carnal, Actually, it's just about power and mm. who has it. And like, and I think that is completely true, what you say about the fact of, like, it wasn't just the wanting of Megan Fox without clothes on and the idea that they, they could sneak shots of her, like, filming a scene without clothes on in this movie. It was the fact that she didn't want them to have it. It was the fact that it was power. It was the fact that it was taking advantage of something that she didn't have in her hands anymore. And that is part of the turn on and that is part of the stimulation and that is the exploitation of it when it doesn't have to be eroticism does not have to be exploitative and that has Mm -mm. been such the struggle of horror over the course of a generation before there was more of a plurality of kinds of filmmakers who were able to make it which is Mm -hmm. there is that battle between exploitation and empowerment and why watching you know a movie that even like you know valuable in in its as a historical artifact something like i spit on your grave you watch it and it does feel at a certain point like you're kind of well you're like you're not safe versus yeah. watching something like a promising young woman versus watching something like an mfa where you feel like the filmmaker is empathizing with the lead because yes. they are a conduit for the lead woman's experience and they are able to 
put a point of view on the story that tells you that the empowerment exploitative empowering exploitative balance can be achieved through style in a way that Jennifer's body, a, a rape allegory, basically does. It tells you, you can have the violence. Like, you watch the process of Jennifer's body, you can have the violence. You can have the exploitation. You can have the sex. You can have the pulp. But it doesn't have to be icky. It doesn't have to want to make you take a shower afterwards. And what the marketing did was like, no, 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 no. We'll just stop it, I spit on your grave. Because that's as far as we've ever thought about what any movie like this could be. Additionally, mm-hmm. like at this point, I think people are ready to turn on Megan Fox the way that, uh, particularly in the aughts, uh, we turned on women one by one. Yeah. Um, and so it was kind of a perfect storm for that. The you know it was with, like isolating members of a herd so they couldn't have accumulated enough power to push back. Yep. Wow. Well said. And so you know uh, what we also had was Diablo Cody. Um, and Juno, which was enormously successful to the point where people couldn't escape it. And I don't know if you remember, but Diablo Cody also had that book, Candy Girl. Right. Oh, I do remember that. It was a huge bestseller, by the way, at the same time as Tucker Max. Um, And it's the story of her, um, you know, her journey of being a stripper Mm -hmm. and and being in charge of her own sexuality. Um, What a fucking reverse of Mm -hmm. Tucker Max. Um, And so... It was also a point culturally where everybody was ready to turn on Diablo Cody. Yeah. And oh, yeah. So what a perfect storm to just do it at the same time with this film. It was. And it was. And I think we've talked about this a lot, too, in, in our conversations around, like, Promising Young Woman. And it's a term that I've tried to sort of bring up as much as possible because it's a set of movies that's really important to me. I think that when I, when I consider um, the neo-exploitation films um, in that camp of... MFA, Revenge, The Perfection, um, perhaps The Nightingale with slightly more historical drama tones in that, Promising Young Woman. Um, I see those films, their antecedents, their predecessors, the the movies that laid the groundwork for what I consider to be the neo-exploitation films that Mm. have shown that exploitation cinema doesn't have to exist purely in the gutter that it can be brought into a modern age where we can actually take the things about it that were enterprising and powerful and bold and necessary the entire time but we can leave behind the shitty parts we don't need anymore like we can leave behind the parts that just feel like torture for the sake of torture we can leave behind the parts that make you wonder was were the men watching this and making this actually just kind of enjoying what they were seeing and they were kind of getting off on it? Like that actually do feel like explorations of fundamental narratives we should be seeing and hearing about sexual abuse suffered by women and queer folks. The movies that build the foundation for that to me are this like triumvirate of teeth, American Mary and Jennifer's body that prove there are different Mm. ways of packaging these rape revenge, these female vengeance narratives that put them in the hands of female creators, put an incredible eye for style in it, make them extremely pop culture present and pop culture minded and maybe saturated in pink and just sort of femme to the max. These movies prove there is a new direction to take this utmost challenging of subgenres within horror. And of course, at the time, we weren't prepared to receive that in a world where Tucker Max is a best-selling author and is anyone up is getting 30 million clicks a month. At that point, it is still too much of a threat to that marketable establishment to embrace. And we are too steeped in internalized misogyny, the, the so many women of the world, to be able to extricate 
ourselves from the toxicity that we have osmosis into our brains and our bodies. So for those of you who don't know, let's give a little summary of Jennifer's body. I know it's a little late, but we should dig into the movie itself, right? Right, but if you're listening to anything at the very least I make and you don't know the summary of Jennifer's body by now, this is like you're crazy. Um, But yeah, This is just for my mom. Just for my mom. (laughs) You know, because she's out there. Um, Our number one fan. Yes. Jennifer's body is a story of two best friends, Jennifer and her best friend, Needy. Jennifer's uh, gorgeous and popular. Needy is a little bit, you know, mousy, but still gorgeous. And still gorgeous. Still Amanda Seyfried. There's Jennifer. Only back then we were tight. Sisters, practically. People found it hard to believe that a babe like Jennifer would associate with a dork like me. Sandbox love never dies. Um, and they go to a bar one night and because Low Shoulder is playing the, you know, this cute uh, Panic at the Disco ripoff. Yeah. And um, what they don't know is that these men are about to uh, kidnap a virgin and sacrifice mm-hmm. her so that they can be famous. The mm-hmm. problem is Jennifer has lied about being a virgin. Yes. And so She's what they... She's not even a backdoor virgin anymore. No. <laughs> so they have inadvertently created uh, a hell demon uh, in the form of, you know, uh, Megan yeah, they've Fox. Created, they've created a succubus in the form of an, Thank you. what the most gorgeous teenage girl you could possibly imagine. And it is, uh, it is not, you know, I know this sounds like a lifetime drama, but mm. friends, this is comedy. <laughs> it is comedy <laughs> horror. You know, we have come in real hot on the uh-huh. serious topics that are appropriately discussed for this. But what I need to tell you is when you get to this movie, it is a celebration of oh. queer language. Be my ass, Chip. You're just jello because you're not invited. I'm not jealous. That place is disgusting. Everyone in there has a mustache. You're totally jello. You're lime green jello and you can't even admit it to yourself. It absolutely, it is a monument to it. It uh, is like, listen, like the idea at the time that it was criticized for sort of Diablo, like Diablo Cody speak, when really the only character delivering that is Jennifer Check. So it's more like Jennifer speak. It's not Diablo Cody saying that this is the way the world talks. Because she, you know, obviously had her, the vernacular that she worked into Juno and that sensibility. It's not the way the world talks. It's the way, the, it's the way Jennifer talks and the way the world molds around Jennifer because she is the center of this universe. But also, though, when a man does it, it's like, wow, Heather's is great. When a woman yeah. does it, it's like, oh, that's Diablo Cody speak. It's like, yeah, that's you know what, fuck right off. Yeah. yeah that's, gonna, that's not going to age well. That's just, that's really tacky. She has such one-liners as, You give me such a wetty. And, It smells like Thai food in here. Have you guys been fucking? <laughs> I got to tell you, it is it is nonstop with Jennifer Check, and I nonstop listening to Jennifer Check is truly like it, it, listening to Jennifer Check is like watching Twitter scroll now. Oh, yeah. Watch it. Listening to Jennifer Check is like, oh my god, this is the insular language of being inside the internet. Mm-hmm. Is what it feels like, and like the amalgamation of fucking drag race. Yep. And current events and whatever weird drama we're all sell like we're all engaging in that day. You know, whatever niche thing that has happened in Twitter high school in your corner of the internet that day, that is like hearing Jennifer Check speak. I saw their MySpace page and the lead singer's extra salty. Plus there'll be lots of other salty morsels there for you. 
And she's powerful before she's a succubus. Just yes. that's what makes her so incredible because totally. she's able to harness the things that she knows other people want from her to get mm -hmm. what she wants. Colin's really nice. He's into maggot rock. He wears nail polish. My dick is bigger than his. Well, I think he's really cool. You do? Yeah. And, and and that's established very quickly. The yes. queer in for me, now I know it, we each have our, you know, our own we see ourselves moment. For me, um, at the Low Shoulder concert, Needy, as they're having this moment watching the band, Needy reaches over and holds Jennifer's hand. And Melt me. It Melt is a me in my chair. beautiful moment. And, and then she looks over at Jennifer and realizes that Jennifer's eyes are just on the lead singer. Mm -hmm. um, and so she lets her hand go. But not at, not until after, because she doesn't. She looks. She like in in such true Jennifer fashion. When she does grab Needy's hand at first, she is looking at her. That's true. She's looking right at her, and she's giddy. And yep. this is like the one person she shares moments with, because they're kind of like near as we can tell. Like Chip has Needy has Chip. Needy has her boyfriend. Jennifer kind of just has Needy. Jennifer has Needy yeah. and commands a control over sort of the entire school over the, as a result of her like incredible desirability. And she's clearly like she's on the cheerleading squad. She's popular and boys want her. As we know, Colin Gray, the absolutely wonderful, darling Kyle Gallner. Um, Colin Gray wants her and Moose, the big the big football player, wants her. But at the same time, the only person she's invested in is Needy. And part of that is when you've been in those codependent monogamous friendships, you feel that hand squeeze and you have that person look over at you with stars in their eyes and you feel you feel that string, you feel that invisible string, and then it holds you just tight enough to even when they look away, it it will it will make sure it will ensure you always keep a hold of that string for them. Sandbox love never dies. And on the you know on the queer side that I identify with, you know, mm. I used to be a concert-going closeted queer. And mm. I would, because it was, you know, if you go to the right concert, like, listen, my first concert was Linkin Park. Okay. Like, <laughs> not Britney Spears. Oh, I'm so jealous. I wish I could have just been gay. So, you know. <laughs> I wish but that too. I'm in this fucking crowd full of men, mm. sweaty men, and I'm there next to my best friend. And he's, mm. you know, doing his thing. And I feel our bodies pressed up against each other in this mosh pit moment. And I'm Ooh. like, oh, I feel that. Mm. We are close. Wow. But I look at him and he's having this moment for what's on stage and I'm having this moment for him. Totally. And that's why this needy Jennifer thing really stands out to me. Oh, and wow. on Ooh. board, I was... That's evocative. Yeah. I I am I knew... Well, first of all, I knew that I was going to go to 100 more concerts with Josh Foster. Josh Foster <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know... What are you doing this weekend? Can you can we find a can we? Really how about this? Which one? This one's a festival. There's like yes. eight. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. um, so it's like you know, this was something that meant watching that moment on screen was like, oh my god, they know me. Mm -hmm. This they know exactly who I am. We're totally lesbian gay. What? She's my best friend. <laughs> yep. And nope. so. And it Mm -hmm. So when we talk about what's queer about Jennifer's body, it's easy to say, oh, it's the makeout moment. It's the moment Jennifer and Needy make out. Listen, of right. course that's queer. It's a super hot kiss. And it's, it is so sexually shot that so I want hot. to make out with them. Yeah, it is. It like props to, and, and Karin has, has talked about this. Um, that was supposed to be. 
It was supposed to be erotic. It was supposed to be sexy. It was mm-hmm. supposed to be a turn on. That's the point. And the fact that I, you know, the underscoring of that eroticism and sexiness is good. It's welcome. Yes. It's part of this genre. Like, you know, the thrill of being a horror fan is that we get to watch the most salacious kinds of things and delight in them for Love all it. the sort of like sin and satisfaction that they are. Like, but we always share your bed when we have slumber parties. It, the conversation around like agency and women's bodies and their own empowerment. And the conversation can never be, well, what if we take the sex out of it? What if we just act like women don't have bodies underneath their clothes? What if we don't at all make an attempt to learn how to do this productively, enjoyably, and responsibly, and we just act like it doesn't exist? That fucking goes nowhere. And this is Diablo Cody and Karin Kusama saying, no, we get to have our fun too. Because this, like, women also want this. This is sexy for women. This is delightful for the audience we are trying to reach, for the girls and gays that this movie is meant for. And that statement of just, like, forceful agency is so, um, and god damn, because they kept it a great secret. And the first time I watched this, when that kiss started happening, and then is 52 seconds long, I was dying. I was falling out of my chair. I had, of course, like, watched HBO After Dark at that point. Like, porn was not out of my purview. I'm in my 20s. But, like, you didn't see stuff like that in movies that were released by Fox Atomic that weren't, like, skin flicks. Like, you didn't see that as a surprise where you didn't realize that was going to pop up. Either that was the movie or you didn't see it coming. And the idea of something gay in a Fox Atomic release with these really big stars. Oh my stars! And not gay in a lesbian. Va- by the oh my stars, are you Barb and starring me? Anyways, <laughs> I fucking live. I love that movie. Um, and this is not gay in a 1970s lesbian vampire way. This is no. not gay in 1983's hu- The Hunger. This no. is gay in a. I just held my best friend's hand at a concert, and my heart broke a little bit, yes. and now my best friend crawled through my window and. And started making out with me. What do I do? Gay. Now that is yes. authentically gay. That is mm-hmm. that is gay in a way where any queer person can look at that screen and go, holy shit, this movie has an actual character that represents mm-hmm. who I am. And they are the leads. Both of them. And the intimacy of it. I mean, the, 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 the choreography of that scene, the way... At first, they're kind of, like, combative with one another. And Jennifer, of course, like, Needy's freaking out. Jennifer makes fun of Needy. We, di- like, we reestablish their dynamic again. And you have Megan Fox in her fucking, like, baseball socks and hot oh pants. God. And Needy's Evil Dead t-shirt. Like, her baseball tee Evil Dead t-shirt. And you just have Needy looking so vulnerable. And you have Jennifer, like, you know, playing with her hair a little bit. And then she strokes her lips. And you're just, like, the buildup of the scene and its execution. And then the zoom like the ultra micro close zoom up that scene is so incredibly well executed and then it is you are yanked out of that rea- you are yanked out of that fantasy back into the reality of like the what the fuck are you doing here is so perfect like it is that shattering of the sort of like it's it's like we're seeing into their imaginations for a moment in the way that they may have fantasized about one another and then they are ripped back into like the fuck 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 wait wait we have an actual situation to deal with and that too i think is such a perfectly queer moment of like we were in suspended animation for a moment and then the world caught up to us and it was like oh shit now we have to actually deal with this again 
So I'm going to say something kind of fucked up, but maybe not. Um, I think that the reason why so many straight men deny the fact that this is a queer movie is mm. the Hunter Moore of it all. Um, mm, it okay. really is because th- to them, that kiss was made for them. Yeah. yeah. They didn't, yes. they don't see it. They don't see that as an authentic no. kiss between, between two queer people. They don't see by, for a lot of them, bisexuality uh, doesn't exist. It's just yeah. we live in a binary of gay or straight. But mm-hmm. I would, I, I just feel like when you think about, think about who is telling you what this movie is. Straight people don't see it. Yes. They completely miss it. And that, and I, and like, that's what I think is reflected in the reviews. I think that's the aspect of, because I don't think the criticism, I, for the most part, the critical class wasn't so trashy as uh the real views review that like just calls megan a you know a quintessential high school like bimbo slut or something like that and criticizes needy lesnicky for looking too much like a homely librarian like most of the reviews weren't that there were a select few that were and that's shameful but i think most of the like smart thinking thoughtful critical class just wasn't capable mostly straight mostly white and even a mix of male and female but even but mostly men of course just wasn't capable of viewing this as the queer movie that it was and so therefore was not even equipped did not have the language or the tools to actually adequately review this film they didn't have the capacity they didn't have it well or the interest quite frankly you know i I think that you're absolutely right it's a willful ignorance and i think it continues to be uh if Mm -hmm. if if we are not talking about jennifer's body as a queer film the Mm -hmm. person who's talking about it I'm sorry, but it's willful ignorance. It's 2021. Yeah. Wake up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at this point, yes. And I think at the time, the way that we understood um, gay media yeah. was that it either was Will and Grace or it was Skinamax. Oh. It was. Yeah. Right. Right. But like, yeah, yeah it, it was either like because obviously there's the, the there's the hypersexualized. Right. There's like the, but, the, the porn ish aspect to it. There's the prestige Oscar caliber awards caliber fucking angels in america philadelphia or there is your happy-go-lucky gay neighbor down the hall but even both of what you just said were gay men because that it it brings up an interesting point which is during the aughts gay men were were carrying the torch for the lgbtq community in in an embarrassing way i mean because because what was happening at the time was the fight for marriage equality and Mm -hmm. a a pivot a a pivot for many people who were pushing towards equality was mm-hmm. to really use images of of straight passing white gay men yeah. because that's what people were comfortable with. They were the will and grace, or they were the they were they were front basically straight out of will and grace. And yeah. on the other side of it, um, we're only also comfortable with men who don't live to the end of their movie in an artful mm-hmm. way. So that's yep. where we get Philadelphia and Brokeback Mountain. So mm-hmm. the aughts were not a time where uh, queer women were actually queer women. They were just porn. And so mm-hmm. that's why even in the good reviews for this movie, you will notice if you go back and look at the ones from then, mm-hmm. um, most reviewers can't resist a punchline along the lines of, but we didn't really see Jennifer's body. Yep. Oh, and it's in completely. like every one of them. Like, oh, yeah, the- <laughs> If you want to see Megan Fox without her clothes on, there are better ways that you can do it than Jennifer's body. Mm-hmm. So, um, but here's what we do see: we see Jennifer eat a lot of boys, and we I see eat so many boys. You're killing people. No, I'm killing boys. Boys are just placeholders. They come and they go. You're my best friend, 
and I want to help you. But I won't let you kill again. That's a lose-lose. I lose me, and you lose me, and then, Needy, you have nothing. I need it. I need it. <laughs> you know what? We have a four-hour Snyder cut. Give Karin Kasama $70 million to go give us a four-hour cut of Jennifer's body. <laughs> Why the fuck are we wasting our time on the, this other shit? Come on! I and it's such a fascinating part of this this movie story to me is that like the marketing is a fucking nightmare. The critical mm-hmm. reception was absolutely ill-equipped, homophobic, misogynist bullshit. Yes, but it is it is so amazing that a part of the story is not Karen and Diablo being forced to make a movie they didn't believe in. It is not, that's not part of the story. It's not. Oh my God. It's not that Fox was looking over their shoulder the entire time trying to make cuts and change the movie. They got to make the movie. I have goosebumps. (laughs) I have actual goosebumps. Yeah. I tell my boyfriend this all the time. I make a great barista. (laughs) I make, I I love being a barista. And here's the thing. If I don't get to make the kinds of movies I want to make, I would rather leave Hollywood and be a barista. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't see enough of that attitude. But you know who invented that attitude? Karin Kasama Karin and Diablo Kasama. Cody. They they didn't they didn't make the movie that they were being pressured to make. They made the movie they knew they were going that they needed to make. And they they got to. Like you any of the any of the features I've read in my conversation with Karin and Megan, they're at no point do you hear them being like, yeah, and then like we had to ignore this note, and then we snuck this in, and then we had to do this. It mm-hmm. wasn't until the movie was being put out that they had to start having a war that they ultimately lost for how to sell it. But the Jennifer's body that we see is the Jennifer's body that was intended. And that feels like a fucking miracle. What given a win. everything that we know. Yeah. It, it's, it, I mean, very few films in general get to be that. Um, yeah. Let alone a film written by a woman, directed by a second woman, starring women. <laughs> starring one of the most, like, misinterpreted, misrepresented, and, and it, like, unabashedly exploited starlets of her day in Megan Fox. Where, like, and the fact that, the fact that this movie let, that it, they were like, yes, Megan, obviously for this, Megan's bankable, Megan's marketable, but... This wasn't a Michaela Baines role. This wasn't a Megan over the hood of a car role. This was comedy Megan. This was this was sharp as a fucking tack Megan. And she aligns herself as a comedic actress first and foremost. And the fact that this movie, and she got cast to carry this role with the way she had been so pigeonholed up to at the at that time. As Diablo, like Diablo Cody has talked about, like, I knew that I had a small window to make this movie. I had won my Oscar. I had all the capital. I had as much capital as I was ever going to have in this industry. And this is the movie that I wanted to make with it. And I knew it was the, I knew it was the, the one shot. And she cashed in every chip to make Jennifer's body and remarkably actually got the movie she wanted to get out. They just decided, even greenlighting it, even letting them make it, even essentially leaving them alone to make it what they wanted to, they still didn't believe in it enough at the end of the day to think that it was a powerful enough movie or a or a broadly appealing enough conceit to overcome misogyny. I would like to share a very special moment that I have with your friend Jordan Cruciola, audience. <laughs> Please um, do. So uh, last year, uh, well, not last year, now it's 2019, um, it, for the anniversary of Jennifer's body, mm-hmm. uh, Jordan 
this is when you know back pre-pandemic yeah um pack the fucking house at the egyptian theater in hollywood all 600 and seats. i gotta tell you that's a that's a theater that has an upstairs <laughs> that has a fucking balcony it's that kind of theater it is the biggest theater you've ever seen you think you when you visit the, the la you think you want to go to the chinese theater listen you don't you want to go to the egyptian you want to go to the it's egyptian. my favorite it's gorgeous too i love it um and so that's where you hosted this reunion of Jennifer's body and on stage on stage uh, was Karen Kasama and Megan Fox and Jordan hosted one of the best Q&A's I've ever been to in my life I'm not saying that because you're my friend I'm saying that because I'm your fan I appreciate um, that and I believe it, you and I trust it you. really was everybody I was with was uh, literally the people next to me were like I wish she did every Q&A I saw <laughs> 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 you are just it was that good but but what was very special was a moment where um, Jordan acknowledged that we owe Megan Fox an apology. Mm-hmm. And the applause and the cheering, the energy in that room, you I could feel it in my chest. As a person up in the balcony, I it, my bones were rattled mm-hmm. by the energy in that room. And it was long overdue. And I just, Jordan, I it means so much to me that you asked for it. In it, I, I mean, the entire, and I and I, I appreciate you saying that because the entire animating force behind me wanting to do that, I, like, besides wanting to talk to them, um, the entire drive in me for years, for years, what I had wanted to do, I just wanted to get something to happen to where there could be just like a recognition of like, no, 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 to, we're, it's a righting wrongs moment. It was to be, I wanted it to be a tent revival. I wanted those women to feel the magnitude of our gratitude and do something to wipe away the deleterious effects of how they were treated at the time the movie came out and the entire cultural, like, brigading of Megan that happened for years around her peak level of stardom in the 2000s. And to hear people so, like, I wanted to whip everybody up into a fucking fever. And to hear people scream back so loud was everything i'd ever wanted i gotta tell you uh, jordan is somebody who wants more all the time because queen yes. of excess this is why we're doing odds podcast mm-hmm. uh, people were screaming at a at like a blow their lungs out level and jordan was like i can't hear you I was screaming <laughs> into the microphone like, demanding more, more. Yeah. like jordan jordan wanted the entire city of los angeles to scream for them I and really and did. and we all felt it we were like are we giving enough yeah I mean, it was like people were like, "We, we got to look at. It. Are we? Ch- we're checking ourselves." Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> we wanted to deliver for you because you would not let us. Ha- you would. You would let us have it if we didn't. And you know what? Mm-hmm. Santa Monica could hear the theater from there. Yeah. Um, and for anybody outside of LA, that's kind of far. And I think one of the most, one of the best parts of that entire um, conversation was right when it started. Uh, Karin immediately ins- instigating in the conversation, being like, "And I have to say." while Megan is up here on stage with me. I mean, your performance is so layered, nuanced, complicated. I mean, it's like, I don't think people understood how hard it is to do that role. And you did it, and you made it look easy. And I just want everybody to acknowledge the performance. (laughs) She too, in that moment, was insistent that everybody in a live setting acknowledge to Megan vocally that what you did was iconic and what you could hear in her voice was this sense of 
protectiveness. You could hear this sense of like, she's a very even keeled and like wise woman. Like she's so mild mannered and and just intellectually Mm -hmm. rigorous in every, in all the conversations that I've had with her. And she was just like, you could feel like a rise in emotion in her voice where it was kind of like, I'm fucking fed up with this way we've disrespected Megan. And I need to make sure all of you all right now are on the correct page where we consider this role as iconic for as truly as it is. And it was just like, yes, Megan, Karen, please take us on this journey. It anchored the entire conversation. And what I'd like to add to that is that um, we talk a lot about performances on Atsterion. We celebrate a lot of different performances, Mm -hmm. whether they're good, bad, or in between. If we had fun with them, if we love them, they are worthy of love. Yes. But in this one case, Megan Fox's performance is objectively one of the best performances in the horror genre. It's so it just is. And it's I'm so talking ev- I mean this is this is a this is a performance that really should have won awards. It's a performance that I I don't think I've seen before or after that can compare. And mm-hmm. so if you if you are somebody who at this point has made it this far without seeing Jennifer's body, um it, or even if you have seen it mm-hmm. and you wrote it off at the Watch time. Watch it again. And, and tell somebody about her performance because that's the good work we do here. Mm-hmm. It's not just about listening to Jordan and I talk about it for an hour and yeah. then, you know, listening for the next episode. Go out there and fucking tell somebody because we have the chance to write history. You know, we can, we can write the wrongs mm-hmm. of yesteryear. It was only 10 years ago, but everything was wrong. Everything and, was wrong. And it's our job to get out there and let people know this performance was incredible. And also, so is Amanda Seyfried's performance. Yes, it is. Incredible. It is. I mean, for all the needies out there who felt so seen by Amanda Seyfried's performance, they do because Amanda Seyfried is bringing the absolutely perfect emotional balance to this role, of which is obviously Jennifer is the flashier part. And, and, and Megan takes it on with such aplomb. But what needy has to do is be the at once sidekick to Jennifer while being the more actually emotionally centered character who's really the strength between the two of them, who's the grounding force between the two of them, who Mm -hmm. balances both her love and affection for her boyfriend Chip and her love and affection for her best friend and kind of really her primary love story in Jennifer Check. And she has to do all this without sliding at any point into being too aloof or too codependent or a little too annoying or a little too dorky. She has to walk such a line to achieve every necessary tonal moment in this performance, and she does it so tremendously well. She gave the needies their icon in this performance. She's never not likable. She's, in fact, the entire time just lovable. And also so is Chip. How often do we see a straight guy we actually like? You know what? The hitcher and that's it. The fact that this movie has two boys I would like to be my boyfriend in in Chip and Colin Gray. Absolutely. I don't know that I can say that about another single fucking movie that has ever existed. I mean, honestly. (laughs) I I don't. I don't think all those boys about like any movie, but like what Johnny Simmons and Kyle Gallner are doing in this movie and what what Karen and Diablo are bringing out of them is so fucking perfect. And I also want to say in the end, uh, there's a moment where uh, Needy says to Jennifer, I I thought you liked boys, or I thought you only ate boys. Mm -hmm. And she says, I go both ways. This movie gives us the bisexual representation that this genre is still so thirsty for. We don't have 
a genre that that allows people to be bisexual. Mm-hmm. Not yet, and we need to, we need this kind of representation. And Jennifer's body is giving it to it to us, serving it on a platter in two thousand nine. Well, and I think there's something like you know to the the queer aspect of it, the the queering of like there there's the bisexuality involved of the fact that like there are these two girls who are deeply close with one another, but also do have a flexibly sexual relationship. Come on, needy, let me stay the night. We can play boyfriend girlfriend like we used to. This isn't the first kiss, probably, or at the very least, not the first very intimate touch kind of thing. Like we know that there is that this is a part of their dynamic, and that's something that both Diablo and Karen wanted to convey that this is a part of their relationship, but it is Mm -hmm. not the overall defining factor of their relationship because these things are complicated and emotions are messy, and you have big feelings for people, and sometimes you just want to close that distance as much as you possibly can, and. What this movie does to queer this friendship and make it not single white female and make Mm. it something that is beautiful and moving and so overwhelmingly strong. If you have, you know, particularly for people like if you've been in a same sex friendship where you felt a a sense of connection to a person where it's like that that line in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood where they're talking about Cliff and Rick and the voiceover from Kurt Russell says like a little more than a brother a little more than a wife and a little less than a brother like as Mm. far as like describing the connection that these two have with one another there's just an intimacy there that goes beyond easy qualification anyway I don't really remember what happened after that I just know that I woke up and I found my way back to you and again, I would I, well not again. I'll, I'll say it the first time because being a queer person, we can have sexual friendships, and straight people don't understand that. Right. Um, you, I can, as a queer man, have a very intimate connection with a person that uh, is still just my friend. <laughs> um, but it's just not something that you know compulsory heterosexuality allows room for. So when we talk about Jennifer and Needy's relationship, mm-hmm. I am talking about. A best friend. Yeah, yes, <laughs> I'm not talking about a girlfriend or a secret girlfriend. It. It's not. No, confu- it's not confused. It's not misplaced affection. Mm-hmm. And I, as it, I, as an, as an ace person, as a pan romantic gray asexual, I, I'm not aromantic. I like affection. I like touch. I mm-hmm. like being physically close to people. I, I like beautiful people and beautiful things. I can close the distance. Physically, like, we don't sleep with each other. Like, we don't have sex with each other. But, like, I can physically close the distance between me and a girlfriend of mine as much as that person is comfortable in their own personal boundaries is willing to close that distance. I Mm. like sharing space. I like being, I like being, like, closing that distance as much as I can. Drape, you know, drape over a person, touch a person, play with a person's hair. Like, intimate touch, familiar touch. All of those things are on the table for me. They're they're ways that I relate and connect. And so to see a movie like this where it enforces, it asserts that this is a friendship. This is a valid friendship. It is not something to be gossiped about. It is not something to be minimized. It is not something to be histrionic about. It is simply the fact of how these people are friends. That meant so much to me to see that kind of intense bonding and connection between two girls, two teenage girls, like these characters on screen, and be like, oh my God, I know that. Like, I know that feeling. I know that desire. And I know that my my relating to this doesn't mean that I'm something I haven't realized yet. That I'm just like, oh, she's just gay and repressed sexually. And that's the exactly. only answer to it. The fact that it gives such a wonderful 
and funny and enjoyable embodiment to this kind of dynamic that felt so emotionally real for me. And the fact that because we do play in the supernatural a bit in Jennifer's body with her being a succubus and the way that they have that extra sensory perception of one another, the way that Needy knows when Jennifer's coming, the way that Needy knows when Jennifer's doing something. Jennifer's here. How do you know? Needy, quit tampooning yourself and get down here. That's fucking weird. The fact that it brings to life that intense connection when you have that monogamous friendship, when you have that deep dependency with another person, the fact that it puts it in supernatural terms is truly to me the thing is, is the most sensible way to realize that kind of dynamic because there's almost no other explanation for it, but for some sort of like ethereal, you know, supernatural, semi supernatural connection bond between you and another human being that allows you to mentally and physically anticipate and be aware of and connect to even in the physical absence of them to just have such a sense of their being that this movie puts, puts, puts a reality to that puts a tangible relationship to that. That is monumental and still something we rarely see. That is poetry, my friend. The what you just said—that's that is—that is the um, the ace romance novel that I needed. It is the it is Thank the you. it is what it is what keeps this movie as an almost unprecedented well, story. So then I have to ask, what I mean, it's obvious, but I also want to know what specifically makes this movie a candidate for Ots Tyrion. I think the for me it is it's a two pronged thing of. It being that um, blueprint film for for my vaunted neo-exploitation category of cinema. Um, it, to me, and, and this is something I, I discussed recently on my own little Patreon, where the reason that the Oscar nominations mean so much to me with Promising Young Woman, I don't need Academy validation to think Promising Young Woman, to know Promising Young Woman <laughs> is good. To know yeah. that it's fucking genius, to know that it's my favorite movie of 2020 and it's probably going to stay my favorite movie of 2021. I don't need that. But what that says to me, that old ass, stuffy as hell institution, finally respecting a movie in this category of film alongside saying that, yes, you are valid enough in our eyes or we at least have been pressured enough to realize that we have to notice how mm. monumental this is, that we will recognize it alongside a vaunted story like Nomadland, a vaunted story like Minari. This most sort of discarded of genres, a rape revenge film, like at the Academy Awards. First of all, like a horror genre film generally, that's always an extraordinary leap when, when one of those movies is able to break that boundary. And then second, one that focuses on women, is written and directed by a woman, stars mm. women and men that are only villains, and it's not a period piece, and women actually get to have interior lives in the present day, and it's pop culture-minded, and it's so contemporary and bleeding millennial, that gets to be best original screenplay? Like, I don't need you to tell me that. I already knew, but the fact that you are in a position where you have no choice but to recognize that's how good it is and that's how forceful we are, that's fucking huge. And that, to me, is the promise. That, to me, is the fulfillment, or at least close to the fulfillment of the promise of what Jennifer's body said was possible 12 years ago. That is what so much, that is such a big part of what Promising Young Woman means to me, is that it, it is justice for Jennifer's body. Because this movie told us so much was, so much was possible. 
that there we could see love and friendship mean what it does in Jennifer's body and it could be in a movie and it could be big and famous and have the biggest actress of the moment by a major movie studio with a fucking slam and soundtrack and Academy Award winning screenwriter. It could have all these things and it could be exist in the lineage of movies like Miss fucking 45. Like the progression from from spit on your grave to a Miss 45 to a Jennifer's body and now to the breakthrough that Promising Young Woman demonstrates that a movie like what Jennifer, a breakthrough that a movie like Jennifer's body made possible even as admonished as it was at the time. That's why it means so much to me because it, it is the, it is the fucking groundwork for, for the house we are standing in now of what we see as possible in like this revenge rape women centric field. And you know, now hopefully we see that field of films diversify wildly more than it ever has been um, in, in, you know, series like Michaela Cole's, I V Destroy You and hopefully so many, so many, so many more shows and films that come after it. But that is why it is, it is the blueprint. And I, it, it just, it so is evocative, emotionally, visually, sonically. And it gets to show you that like women are important. Women are furious and we are fun and we are sexy and we can give ourselves the lizard brain things that we love and crave better than men almost ever could. Well, I'm going to weigh in, but, I don't think I need to cover anything that you covered, which is all of it. So what I will say. <laughs> but I would love, you brought it to I, the doorstep today, so I want to know. I actually, I, what I want to share is that what makes it odds carry on for me mm. actually changed during the course of this conversation. Interesting, um, okay. Uh, what I was looking at was the wreckage of a world that was not kind to the people who were living in it. Mm-hmm. And a movie that was unsung. But what you pointed me to was that um, this movie was exactly what it needed to be made by the people who wanted it to be that way. Mm-hmm. Um, at a time when what was what was in demand was imagery against the will of its participants, yes. was was against the wishes of the people who were in front of the camera. But mm-hmm. in this case, every image, every moment was talked about together and created together mm-hmm. intentionally. And what we have is something that was um, so powerful that it was able to resist an entire cultural push. Um, It was able to exist in spite of a culture that demanded something different. This movie exists in the face of, is anyone up? In the face of, I hope they serve beer in hell. And at the end of the day, it made more money at the box office. So, (laughs) you know, even then, it really is the winner. Um, I love Jennifer's body and it absolutely has a home here. I'm so glad we got to talk about it together, Jordan. I'm so glad that you decided it was time because you were absolutely right. And I am so grateful for the the framing that you brought to it as, as putting a new spin on this conversation of something I've talked about a bunch and, and, so it's so cool when you love a movie and the more you talk about it, the more you love it. Cause the more ways you find <laughs> to like appreciate it, yes. value it. And this is just like to find another way to consider this movie and its value because of it, in spite of the circumstances in which it arrived. Incredible. What a thrill. What a fucking gift. Friend, where can we find you on social media? You can find me on uh, Twitter at Jorcru, J-O-R-C-R-U. And then you can find me on Patreon, where I have recently written about uh, Jennifer's Body and Promising Young Woman, (laughs) as I've done multiple times before, but this time together. And you can subscribe to that and pay me money, which I would absolutely love. And how about you, Sam? 
Um, you can find me at Sam Wyman on Twitter and I guess Instagram, but am I ever even on there? Right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, someday, someday soon, mm-hmm. you will also be able to find Jordan and I probably talking about Jennifer's body in the documentary I'm working on right now. <laughs> yeah. And Please, I know, I know you all want this doc. I do too. I want this for you. Um, I don't talk about it on here because I don't want to rile people up. I get that tweet like every day. But listen, we are so close. You are so close. And Jennifer's body will have its moment. Um, friend, this is so special that we got to do this together. Thank you. I Thank you so much. And I really think we, we honored the title in a way that I, I knew we could. And uh, I'm always thrilled to do. I think so too, friend. Thank you.